Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. This morning, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to to Matthew 23, verses 23 through 26. We'll be looking together at the fifth and sixth woe pronounced by Jesus against the Pharisees, woes five and six. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word and I pray that you'll speak through my lips this morning and that my words may not be human words, but that they may be attended by your Holy Spirit and his power and thus bring conviction and lead to conviction. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This passage speaks of the failures of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not the Sadducees. The Pharisees are not the Herodians. If you want to uh, bring this group into the modern day and think of its modern analog, it would not be the liberals in Washington, D.C. They'd be the Herodians, or not just the liberals, the conservatives. I shouldn't say the liberals. if you want to talk about the, 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 the class that is running the country, it's the Herodians, all right? And so, and so as we listen to Jesus speak about the Pharisees, we've got to understand that he's not talking about people in Washington or Columbus or even down at City Hall in Sylvania or in Toledo. That's not it. Those are the Herodians. These are not the Sadducees. Pharisees are not Sadducees. Sadducees were the people who pretended to faith, pretended to it, but really didn't have it, didn't believe it. It was, for them, a means of control, a means of power. And, and you would think that the most despicable people in, of all in Christ's eyes would be the Sadducees, who use religion kind of as the opiate of the masses, as Mark said, you know, a way of control, a way of power, a way of keeping the people in their prescribed places so that I'm not threatened, so that I can lead. But Jesus does very little in the way of condemning the Sadducees. And I think it's probably because it's, it's self-evident. Self-evident to everyone that the Sadducees are not children of God. They don't understand God. They're not, they're not close. They're far. The liberal Christians, the, the pious church people who talk about God but don't worship him and don't believe in his power, That's not who he's talking about here. That's not the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the people who are closest to Christ. (laughs) They're the people who fill 
churches like ours. They're the people who are dead center in the faithful, observant, religious people of God of Jesus' time. And they are the people that Jesus attacks more more severely and assiduously. He just keeps on doing it over and over. I mean, this, this series of woes, he's in his final week of life as he pronounces these woes. He's, he's on his way to Calvary. Triumphal entry is long past in that week. Those things are over. You would think that Jesus would at this point become tender, gentle, that he would want to make peace with those who oppose him, that he'd seek to leave on a positive note. But there's none of that. He goes after the scribes and the Pharisees with a vehemence, with a strength that is unequaled in anything else that he's done. He is after them, after them. Woe to you, hypocrites, scribes, and Pharisees. You tithe the mint and dill and cumin. (laughs) You've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. So it's essential to our faith to its power, to its effect, and the effect of faith is salvation. So it's essential to our salvation, to the glory of our faith, to the benefit of our faith, to the, to the reality of our faith that we identify and carefully turn away from the sin of the Pharisees. Nothing is more threatening to our eternal futures as members of the church than this error. Nothing is a greater threat to you and me spiritually than the sin of the Pharisees. Jesus makes this clear in the charges he raises against the Pharisees. Jesus has said that the Pharisees are not entering heaven. They think heaven is their birthright. Jesus says, you're not going in. And this needs to be understood to be applicable to some of us. I don't know how many, but there are some here who are absolutely convinced as the Pharisees were that they're going to heaven who will not enter. They will not enter, nor do they help others get there. Verse 13, they shut off the kingdom of heaven from others and do not enter themselves. They shut it off, and they themselves are not entering heaven. So they're actually a detriment to the spiritual nation of Israel, to the, the spiritual future of the people of God. And they themselves are, are not entering heaven. The Pharisees, well, they're impotent. They have no spiritual power. Verse 15, they travel land and sea to make one convert, but try as they might. They have no divine authority. They have no divine unction, and they have no power to win men to God. They work, they work, they work, but they end up making men like themselves who are pious and mouth the right things, but can't lead their way out of a paper bag, let alone lead their way to heaven. They're impotent. They seek to make a convert. They go land and sea. This tells us something about the reality of true religion. When it's truly faith in Jesus Christ, when it's truly honoring God, you don't have to work hard to get people to want it. 
You don't have to chase them. They chase you. They see something. Jesus says, you have to go all the way from the land to the sea to get one convert. And then when you make him a convert, he's twice the son of hell that you are. He's twice as damned as you are. Three, the Pharisees are blind, unable to perceive truth. Blind, 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 blind. One, two, three, four, five times in these verses, Jesus tells them that they are blind, accuses them of being blind. He says it first in verse 16. Woe to you blind guides. He says it again in verse 17. You fools and blind men. He says it again in verse 19. You blind men, which is more important. He says it again in verse 24. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. He says it again in verse 26. You blind Pharisees. Blind, 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 blind. <laughs> you blind guides. You bl- the height of hypocrisy is to, to present yourself as a guide, as a source, as the, the fount of wisdom when you yourself are perishing from the lack of it. And then he says, you're a blind guide. We have in the church today many blind guys. People who say, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. I'll show you the way. I want you to know how you get to heaven. And they're blind. Is this a category that even exists in your mind? Have you ever thought that there are people who are influential in the church that you're a part of and I'm talking about this church I'm talking about the larger context of this church the evangelical church I'm talking about the church that's reformed around the world that there are guides self-proclaimed guides in this church who are lauded by all and yet are blind that they don't know what they're doing they don't know where they're going And they're leading you to hell. Have you ever thought of someone being in that category? It should be a category that's existent in your mind. You should be able to say, yeah, I think I've been around a blind guide before. And if you don't, well then, if you've never thought that, then the question really is, are you you aware of the difference between truth and darkness? Because if you can't see darkness taught, can you understand light to follow it? Right? And Jesus is calling you to understand that there are blind guides. The Pharisees are bound for hell. They are the religious leaders of the nation. They are the people of God. They're the ones who proclaim faith and grace and mercy, which are things the Pharisees taught over and over again, but with certain errors in it. They proclaim these things, but they are bound for hell. Verse 15, when they make a convert to their form of religion, they turn him into twice the son of hell they are. Verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? They're sentenced to hell. They're going to hell. This is the religious aristocracy of the day. Jesus is not speaking to them and saying, some of you, you know, there's a small portion of you. He's saying, Pharisees, you're doomed. Pharisees, you're damned. You're going to hell because you have not, well, you have not done 
what you're supposed to do. But what is it that they were supposed to do and that they did not do? Understanding and opposing the evil of the Pharisees is essential. It's, it's, it's so essential. And yet, we assume we understand the Pharisees. We lap up the teaching we're given on the Pharisees. And we never, we never think critically about it. We never analyze the teaching we're given to see if it actually comports with what the Bible says. We just acritically take it and consume it because usually the teaching about the Pharisees that's given to us by Pharisees is something that says the Pharisees were doing something no one ever does. You couldn't be a Pharisee. I'm not a Pharisee. That's what Pharisees say. We're the real McCoy. No Pharisee ever says, I'm a Pharisee. No, they accuse others of being Pharisees. They say, oh, that guy's a Pharisee and that guy's, I'm not a Pharisee. So again, could I be a Pharisee? Well, of course I could. Am I a Pharisee? Often. Am I in my heart a Pharisee? I hope not. I hope not. And I trust that I am not. But it's a question that's real, and it's a question that must be asked. So understanding and opposing this evil is important. It's essential. And in our passage this morning, we have a number of things stated about the Pharisees by Christ that expose the central evil of them. But you're going to, if we're going to profit from this, you're going to have to discard much of, the, of, of what you've heard about Pharisees in recent days at least and actually listen to Jesus as he speaks about them. All right? You're, you're going to have to. You're going to have to listen to the word of God and not to preachers who have taught you things about the Pharisees that just aren't true. And I'm talking about many very, very, very popular teachers in the evangelical and reformed world today who have spent years of their career teaching you what Pharisees are and in, the, in their teaching denying what Jesus says in this passage and elsewhere. Pharisees, what is the sin of the Pharisees? Well, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Well, it's very clear that they don't understand and discriminate between the minor points of the law and the major points, isn't it? They strain it at gnats and swallow camels. They have, they have failed to understand the weightier provisions of the law. They have devoted themselves to the less important provisions of the law while refusing to obey the weightier provisions. Okay, does this make sense? What are the lesser provisions of the law that Jesus is talking about? Well, it's the tithing, the mint, and the dill, and the cumin. You tithe, mint, dill, cumin, okay? These are the things you do. You do a good job tithing, little pinches, you know? One-tenth. They go out and they harvest their mint, all right? Or their dill, or their cumin, and they go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, okay? And then that tenth part, very carefully, pinch it, put it in a little envelope, and they come and they dedicate it at the temple, and they go, 
look how observant I am. I have done what God requires. A tenth, you know, a tenth of the mint and the dill and the cumin. I did it. I did it. And yet, they have refused the weightier provisions of the law. Now, have you ever realized that the law, the Old Testament law, had weightier provisions and less weighty? If you've never thought this, then perhaps you're a Pharisee. All right? Now, Jesus here says certain provisions of the law are very weighty, and others are not so weighty. And the tithing of the tenth is one of those less weighty things. Now, Jesus doesn't say that they're wrong to have done those, to tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin. He says, well, you should have done that, but you shouldn't have neglected the more important things of the law. In other words, Jesus is not turning away from these ceremonies, these acts of religious duty that were particular and peculiar to the Jewish dispensation, but he's also saying, but, you know, as you do these ceremonial acts that are part of the worship of me, don't neglect the weightier things of the law, which is justice and mercy and faith. The law demands justice and mercy and faith. Now, I know you look at the passage and you say, David, it says faithfulness. But that's not the word in the Greek. The word in the Greek is faith. That the law demands justice mercy, and faith. It's, there's no way around it. And if you, if you read the early commentators from the early church on this, they all take this as faith, that the law demands faith. Not faithfulness, not that you be nice in your commitments to others, but that you possess faith. That is uniformly the reading of it that took place for the first thousand years of the church. All right, and even today... You read commentaries on it, and people will say that this is faith. It's not faithfulness. Why has it been translated faithfulness? Well, can you think why it would have come to be translated today as faithfulness? Why we would be told, no, it's faithfulness? Because faithfulness is something that you are responsible for doing, right? It means that you tell the truth or something like that. I don't know what, how you define it but it's it's a character of you but in the modern world no one wants to say that the actual the actual law of God requires faith why because faith then becomes obedience do you understand if the law demands faith then to practice faith and to believe is obedience no way around it. 280 sometimes in the New Testament, piston is used. Three times it's translated out of those 280 as faithfulness. The other 280 some it's translated faith. Now in classic Greek it was not uncommon for piston or pisteo, but that's the verb form. It is not uncommon for it to be translated faithfulness. But in the Bible, it almost never happens. And in Matthew, who uses the word many times, it is never used that way. Faith. The Pharisees are deficient because they do not obey the weightier provisions of the law. 
justice, mercy, faith. Now you know that we divide the law of God into two, what are known as two tables. And the first table are the duties that we owe God, and the second table are the duties that we owe man. And Jesus summarizes the whole law by saying that the whole law can be, can be summed up in two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He, rec- he takes the entirety of the Ten Commandments. The first four, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have idols. You shall honor my name and the Sabbath. And he puts them in loving the Lord your God. And he takes the next six. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not commit murder, not commit adultery, not steal, lie, or covet. And he puts that as loving your neighbor as yourself. The first four, the final six. Justice, mercy. Justice. Living in this world in a just way. This involves so many things in life. It means not lying on your taxes. That's part of justice. It means paying the guy who comes to work on your house a decent living wage rather than taking advantage of him because he's a member of your church. Justice. You understand? Justice is something that really hits home to your life and mine. It, it, you can't presume that you are a just man. Justice is deep. Justice is, and mercy, doing what's right, and then in mercy, forgiving, not holding against people when they do against you. And that's, this is the entirety of the second table of the law, that you do justly and you show mercy. You not steal another man's wife, that you not covet all these things, and that you forgive when they do wrong against you. First table of the law, what is it to love God? What does it mean when the Bible says... You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. What is he requiring? What is God saying? He's demanding that you believe in him. Belief is required by the law of God. The Bible over and over again commands you to believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. 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 Over and over and over again, the Bible commands belief. The Pharisees don't believe. They're lacking in this belief. They don't have faith. What do they have? I'll tell you what the Pharisees have. They have uh, 10 parts, dill, cumin, mint. And that 10th, they've given. What is that? It's, I've, I've mentioned it under this title as I've talked. It's ceremonial obedience. It's doing the things that aren't in the Ten Commandments very carefully, but ignoring the commandments. Why do you think the Pharisees take the little tenth and give it, but ignore the weightier provisions of the law, faith, justice, mercy? Well, it's Isn't the answer obvious? It's very easy to give a tenth, but to live justly, to, to really practice, live faith, in, to love God with all your heart, 
and soul and mind and strength. To be merciful, all those things are much, much more difficult than giving a tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin, aren't they? So the Pharisees are rigorous, devout. They do the, all the ceremonies, but they don't do the weightier provisions of the law. The weightier provisions of the law, they go, I gave my tenth. I can walk in here because I gave my tenth. I'm circumcised. I'm this, I'm that. All these things. And Jesus says, those things are nothing. There are weightier provisions of the law. I see this over and over again in my life, in your lives, in the lives of people in my church in days gone by. We take the ceremonies we are engaged in, the religious acts we do, and we make them the basis of our walk with God. And we think, God, you owe me something. You, you owe me eternal life because, look, I go to church. I had a man in my, in my past in the church who had a son who was not following the Lord. The son was... Uh, in rebellion this man kept on saying over and over again praying in prayer meetings and saying I wish my son would just get baptized I wish my son would just get baptized and honestly I thought to myself he can be baptized but he won't have been changed by baptism but this man thought that that act would make his son something different. I talked to a man one day about his life. It was a life that had gone into ruin in many ways because of sins that he'd committed that had, that had come upon those he loved as well. And this man said to me, as I challenged him about these sins that he was engaging in and had engaged in for years, he said to me, David, yeah, he said, but I go to church. I, I'm, I read the Bible. He said, I'm no different than he named someone in our church. He said, I'm no different than him. Why has God done this to me? Well, it was very clear that he thought his ceremonial acts, his good religious deeds, being in a small group, reading the Bible, going to church, caused God to owe him something over here. He was not obeying here, but he was pleading this ceremonial obedience over and against the real obedience that God wanted from him, the fundamental obedience. Is this you? Is your righteousness based in your knowledge of Jesus, in your obedience to him, or is it based in your performing certain acts and deeds? We need to be very, very careful that our obedience to God is in the fundamental areas and that we recognize that obedience is demanded by God. That obedience that is demanded by God includes faith. And that you can't take faith and put it out here and say, I have faith, therefore 
I don't need to obey God in other areas. Faith is the first act of obedience. But if your life is full of weakness and sin, and you are like the Pharisees in your impotence and your inability to lead others into the kingdom of God, then I'd suggest to you to think that maybe you are like the Pharisees in speaking of a faith that is all based in religious deeds and not in the more important acts of obedience that God requires. If your faith does not lead you to obey God in the fundamental areas that God has said are the vital areas. In other words, if your faith does not get you to put aside porn, the idols of our age, if your faith doesn't have the strength to make you say, I'm going to obey you, God, in that area, then you are a Pharisee. Am I making sense? Faith is not something that is different from obedience. It is obedience. The Bible demands faith. And if you want to say, no, obedience is earning my salvation. Obedience, if I say that obedience is required of God, then I'm giving up the the freedom of the Christian. Then you don't understand the sin of the Pharisees because they said the same thing. When I... When I came to know the Lord, I was a heavy drinker, and somehow in the midst of drinking and drinking and drinking, I've told you the story, God allowed me to stop, and I stopped cold turkey, and it was hard. It was probably the hardest thing I've done in my life, to quit drinking cold turkey. But as I went on in not drinking, there was a little bit of a sense of thrill because I realized this wasn't just me. What I realized was that as I had said yes to God in quitting drinking, though at the time I'm not sure I even understood I was saying yes to God, I just knew that I had to get out of this path. I realized that God had given me strength and that God was establishing something with me. So the... The summer after I quit drinking, I was reading the Bible for the first time in my life, looking at it and trying to figure out what it meant and trying to apply it to my life. And I read 1 John 1, 9, and it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that verse demands that we confess our sins, doesn't it? Doesn't it require? You understand what I'm saying? And it's obedience to confess our sins to God. It's not something other than obedience. It's not like some unobedient obedience or something like that. It is obedience. So I read that passage and I thought, whoa, I should, I should start confessing my sins. Obedience. So I went out into the countryside and every night. It was easy to do because it was Alaska and the countryside was incredibly beautiful. Went out and I started walking and confessing my sin And I just saw God's power in place after place changing me because I obeyed. Where are you obeying God? Now you're going to say to me, I've been listening to Tim Keller and what you're preaching is, is moralism, David. You're preaching moralism. You're preaching that we should all be Pharisees. And I'd say to you, no, no. Tim Keller is dead wrong. It is not moralism to obey 
the fundamental things that God has required of us in his word. It is faith. It is faith. And if you separate faith from obedience, you deprive faith of its oxygen. Tim Keller will say, well, you can come, and after you've come to know Jesus, you can now try to be obedient. But in actual fact, if you read him and you read others like him, you understand that they're applying their criticism of obedience even to our lives after we come to Jesus. And they're saying, oh, you're a moralist. You're trying to do right. No, no, don't try and do right. You shouldn't do right. That's not what you're trying to do. And I say to you, I don't know where in the Bible it says that obedience is separate from faith. I don't find it. I find often that the Bible says if you are seeking to please God by your little bits, your little tithes of mint and dill and cumin and ignoring the important things, then you're a, a Pharisee. If you're pleading one area of obedience against a life of disobedience, then, of course, your obedience is trying to earn God's favor. But Jesus, the source of our righteousness, Jesus, the Son of God who came to earth and died, that we might be righteous. Jesus, whose blood gives us merit with God, not our obedience, right? Jesus, the source of your righteousness, and there is no other righteousness except through Jesus. Your good deeds don't earn you God's favor. Whether they're the important acts or the unimportant, this Jesus says, let me read to you, This Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You can't love Jesus and not keep his commandments. You can't believe in Jesus. Love is part of faith. You can't believe in Jesus and not keep his commandments. This Jesus says, again, a few verses on in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Jesus says this. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This Jesus says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus says, if you love him, you must obey him. How can we get around this? This Jesus says in the next chapter in John, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let me tell you, the modern Pharisees of our day who say you should never try and obey God because you're trying to earn your salvation and you're a moralist don't understand the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus says love, faith, and obedience walk hand in hand. And we in our day have separated them and we're dying as a church because of this. American Christianity is dead, 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 dead because of this. 
We could speak about how it came to this point and the process, how Martin Luther rebelled against the Pharisaism of the Roman Catholic Church. We could talk about that. We could talk about the Puritans and how they sought to bring in obedience to God even though it wasn't essential for faith as they sought because that's what Martin Luther taught. They sought to bring in obedience afterwards as part of sanctification. We could talk about where we've come to today where any obedience before salvation or after is now moralism, which was not the case with Luther. Luther said before salvation, it's obedience is is Pharisaism. After salvation, though, the third use of the law says you've got to obey because it's a guide to life. But today, no, obedience is entirely thrown away. Any attempt at all to obey God is a sign that you're a Pharisee in the way that these men preach today. I'm telling you, if you want power, I'm telling you, if you want to change the world, stop listening to the Pharisees and start obeying Jesus. Love him. Obey him. Do what he says and find out how he changes you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for for the teaching of Jesus and its power. Forgive me for how short I fall of it and all of us, Father. We are Pharisees. We are Pharisees because we don't obey. Father, because we don't do what you require. That's the problem. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Help us to obey Jesus, to love him by obeying him. And in his name we pray, amen.